giving and getting. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of the second Sunday in Lent, February 28th, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. In this Lenten season, Deacon Aaron Iamy reminds us that we practice spiritual disciplines like fasting to get more of God. When we give, God gives us himself and his blessings. Yet this getting of blessings creates a tension so that we struggle to give more. So in our giving, Jesus invites us to suffer with him in the way of the cross. The paradox is that when we give our lives away in this way, we gain Jesus and resurrection life. A few weeks ago, we introduced you to a work dear to our hearts, the Jewish Believers Holocaust Project. Christchurch has commissioned a study to retrieve the names and stories of the Jewish Christians who suffered just as other Jews during World War II. Very little hard evidence, figures, and stories have ever been assembled about these victims, and their tragedy has been a largely untold chapter in the history of the Holocaust. After many years of work, the first fruits of this research project has been published. The book, Bosley and Anna Yotch, Jewish Christian Victims of the Holocaust by Kelvin Crombie is now available on Amazon as a paperback and ebook. To watch a video about Bosley and Anna Yach and to buy the book, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Our worship continues now through the reading and study from the Word of God. So let's open our ears and our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to us through His Word tonight. The first reading from Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And then on to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. This is the word of the Lord. And now we'll read from the book of Psalms, chapter 22, starting in verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. 
For he has not despised nor arbored the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel portion for tonight, second Sunday in Lent, is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8. Please stand. It's a a long-standing tradition that we honor the king and his gospel as we hear his words to his people. Brothers and sisters, the good news, according to Mark. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be acceptable and delight you, O Lord, our most sure rock and redeemer. Amen. We are in the second week of Lent, this continued time in the uh, calendar where we have a little bit of, of extra Uh, self-reflection and self-examination in our preparation for Passover and for Easter. And uh, as uh, David has mentioned previously, and it's a very good thing to keep in mind, when we do turn from our sin, it's not just turning away from sin. The other side of the coin is, what are you turning 
two. And so this whole season of self-reflection and, and, uh, and self-examination, the whole point is to turn more towards the Lord. It's part of our discipleship. For those who are engaged in fasting, first of all, this is not an invention by the Catholic Church. Uh, Jewish people fasted long before the Pope ever came. It is a good thing. It is a spiritual discipline. It is not the only spiritual discipline, and it should never be something that we do legalistically. That is, I have to do this because it's Lent. No. In giving up something, we do so for the desire to get something. And what should that heartfelt desire be? To get more of God. And so it's in that uh, context, the background of, um, of Lent, of discipleship and uh, of self-reflection, I took a look at our texts and uh, I thought, look at this. The walk of faith most certainly is not often glamorous, is it? It's not often easy, and it usually is not void of troubles. So we look at our hero, Abram, today, and the call of Jesus himself to his disciples to take up the cross, because that is the invitation of the Messiah in today's portion, to join in the sufferings of Jesus. But the reward the reward to do so reveals the paradox. And so it's in that uh, theme of paradoxes that I wanted to explore uh, today's texts. Because the cross ends in glory, does it not? It's a paradox. What seems like a defeat is actually a victory. What looks like death is actually life. That's incredible. So... Looking at our first uh, portion of Scripture, the uh, Genesis portion, we encounter Abram. Now, we have met him before. And when Abram first appears in the Bible, he has almost no background and uh, no life stories. We know very little about him. In fact, we know so little about him that uh, most of what we do know is oral tradition. And there are some great stories that talk about Abram in his father's house, and the idol, his father was an idol maker and smashed all the idols. Great stories. The actual text itself, we know very little about him. And what we do know quickly gets taken away. Yes? He has to be removed from his land, removed from his family, removed from his people. And in that process, of being stripped away, suddenly we find in today's passage things are being given. He's going to get a new name. He's going to get a new land. He's going to get a new people. Not only a new people, peoples. So there's this paradox between giving up and getting. And if we have a look in context, okay, uh, Abraham begins this section at how old? Anyone remember? 99. Yeah, he's a young spring chicken. Yeah. And uh, the pre in context, 
the, the previous chapter, chapter 16, gives him the birth of Ishmael. And he had an Ishmael when he was 86. So 86, now he's 99. How old is Ishmael? 13. Okay. What's, what's 13 a very good age for in Judaism? Yeah, isn't it interesting? Okay, we're going to do something. Son of the covenant. Okay. Now, why is it? Why does he have to be ninety-nine? Why does he have to be eighty-six? Okay. And uh, not only is this covenant uh, a bar mitzvah—it's not really a bar mitzvah—but it's going to be a circumcision. It's going to be a circumcision of an old man and a young boy. Right. Ishmael is going to to get done here as well. And God's call to Abram, he's called him before. Yep, in Genesis chapter 12. And God's given him a dream, a covenant where he walks through the parts. And here, God says, I want you to be tamim, blameless. Or, what else can tamim mean? Right. It's usually in connection. It's the uh, blameless, without a defect, um, perfect, um, pure. It's usually in connection to sacrifices. You can either be tamay or tahor. Okay? Um, and, uh, but here, God is saying to Abram, I want you to walk tamim before me. I want you to be blameless. What's so, what's so valuable about that for us as disciples? Well, because his initial, up until this point, between 12 and 17, he has not been blameless. What did God originally tell him to do? Abraham, Abram, get up and leave your father's house. Did he do it? Nope. Remember, it was Terah who took the family to Haran, and Abraham only leaves his his father after he dies. Then he has his little issue down in Egypt where he pretends that his wife's his sister. We kill a few kings. There are five of them. So we're a man of blood. Okay. And uh, then we have a son via our concubine that wasn't the child of promise. Things hadn't actually gone 100% so well. But isn't it good that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God still had a call on Abram. He was going to keep calling. He said, be blameless. I know what's happened before. And uh, Stephen knows this. Stephen uses uh, Abraham when he's criticizing the Jewish leadership in Acts chapter 7. He says, you don't always obey. In fact, you guys never obey. You don't listen. And then he begins, come on, just like Abraham. Beginning Acts chapter 7, he was told to leave his father's house, but he didn't. But he got good. He, 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 and that's a good lesson for us. I don't know what you guys have done in your past life. I can tell you what I've done in my past life. You do not want to hear it. But God still called. He said, I've got a great job for you. And you will be blameless before me. And for Abraham, he gets a new name. He's going to get a new people, and his relationship with the Lord is going to be such that it's going to affect the entire world. And boy, that's a good thing. The gifts and calling of God 
are irrevocable. And so I like this character because he reveals again that paradox of when you give up something, you get. Now we have to be very careful that because there's this, there's this uh, tension, often so much in the Bible, where a blessing can actually become a curse. What do I mean by that? Oh. For those of us who have been wrestling with the last words of Moses, we've been hearing uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has been talking to his, the people of Israel who are about to enter the promised land. And uh, he says, <clears throat> when you go in, you're going to take possession and you're going to reap harvests that you didn't plant. You're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to have a country you didn't form. And when you're secure and, and happy and your, your crops are growing, you'll start to feel, I did it. You'll go after other gods and you'll fail. So in your success, he warns you will fail. So be very careful. I'm not saying that, that, that uh, getting a blessing from the Lord is bad. It is not. It is a blessing from the Lord. But we have to learn from the people that have gone before us. We have to take their warning. Perhaps at this time as well, as we're, as we're waiting for the resurrection, it'll be great. Easter's fantastic. You know, resurrection Sunday is awesome. The songs are fantastic. Life is good. The resurrection life is fantastic. But then let's not forget why it had to happen and what we've got to do with it. Solomon was another paradox who also knew giving up, you get there he is, young boy of 12. Dad's died and he's going to become the king. And the Lord visits him in a dream and says, What do you want, young sir? Do you want long life? Shall I give you the, the blood of your enemies? Do you want wealth? Do you like lots of wives? And what's the deal? And what does he say? Lord, I would like, like wisdom, and God's like, I'm very impressed. Because you have not wanted the others, you'll get that too. You give up, you get. You got it all. But the tension. He, he began initially to learn that, give up to get, because what is his first famous judgment scene that we know of him? The two women with the one baby and... Solomon sitting there and thinking, what do I do? Well, I know. Let's kill the baby, chop the baby in half, you each get half. And the real mother said, no, I'll give him up. She can have it. And he worked it out. She gave up, she got the whole thing. Praise the Lord. But let's also remember, in Solomon's wisdom, he got a lot of gold and a lot of women and a long life. And victory over his enemies. And it didn't end so well. Because at the same time as he was building the temple, he was also back off to Egypt to marry the daughter of Pharaoh, which Moses had told him, don't do. You do not go back to Egypt. He, at the same time as he is constructing the temple, he is building other temples to pagan gods. So let's learn from these heroes. The call is exactly the same. And it keeps coming, even if you missed it. 
That's why I like that uh, verse in Romans. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. People sometimes come and, and they say, Anne, I, I don't know what the call of my life is. Perhaps I've missed it. Okay, maybe you did. But guess what? It'll be the same call tomorrow. <laughs> okay? God doesn't normally go down and say, Aaron, I, I really want to send you to um, deepest, darkest Africa. And, and I say, Lord, I don't want to go to deepest, darkest Africa. I don't know any of the local languages. I'm not from anywhere near the bush. I'm in trouble. And God goes, oh, yeah, good point. I'll choose someone else. He's the Lord. He knows exactly what his heroes are good at, and he calls them, be blameless. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Be perfect, because my Father in heaven is perfect. That's the benchmark, guys. We must be perfect before the Lord. So there is that. Give up and get. And so we have to be also careful that when we do get, and it is a blessing from the Lord, let's be careful with it. Very careful. And we look at the psalm for today, Psalm 22. Usually most people know the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Most of us not quite know the rest of it. This is normally attributed to King David. Um, and then what the Jewish people do is they put this word, oh my God, my God, why has you forsaken me, in the mouth of Queen Esther. Seeing how it's Purim, I thought I might mention that as a curio, that... Uh, it, the book of Esther doesn't have them with liturgical prayers or what they said, but in oral tradition, as she's fasting and praying, she says, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? Because this psalm is about how God is attentive to people when they are in distress and how he hears, particularly from this section we read today, the poor. God notices the poor. And he is attentive to their needs. And if that's a fact, which it is, then that should influence us also in our discipleship and our walk with the Lord. If God notices the poor, what should we do? And so one of also the themes of Lent is, yes, while we are doing a little bit of self-reflection, we don't forget that there's some other people around us and we have a special attempt to notice the poor and give a little bit more during this season. And in that paradox, God will notice the poor. The next verse is, and all the ends of the earth will hear of the Lord. Somehow, that, that, uh, God will use that to affect the world, just like he will with Abraham, just like Jesus will with his 12 disciples affect the world. And speaking of the passage... We, we notice in today's section that Jesus begins to speak openly about his, uh, his, his death and his resurrection. And this was a shock to his disciples, probably not just only to them. It's a shock for many people that the messianic agenda is not their idea. And that's well, I've got a pretty good idea of what I think God's kingdom should look like. I've got a pretty good idea of what I think Jesus should do. But it was a bit of a shock to hear that we're not going to Jerusalem to destroy the Romans and uh, start the Messianic reign. I'm going to Jerusalem 
because I'm going to die, but I will also rise. And Peter does something no disciple should ever do. What is that? Tell the master what to do. Disciples don't tell rabbis what to do. Rabbis tell disciples what to do. Anyone here think it's a good good idea to tell Jesus what to do? No. I'm hoping the answer is no. It's very interesting that in our prayer life, sometimes our prayer life is pretty much telling Jesus what we think the messianic agenda is. Is that true? And not only that, I love it when we have a prayer and we say, and and I just want to thank you ahead of time. Oh my gosh. I don't really want to tell you what to do, Jesus, but I know you're going to do what I say because I said it in your name, in Jesus' name I meant. So I'm just going to say thanks ahead of time because I will forget. No, let's not do that. So Peter gets his rebuke, rightly so, and so should we. So perhaps during this lead up, to the resurrection. Let's be a little careful with our own prayers and requests. Let's listen to ourselves on what we're asking of the Lord and hope it's in alignment with his will and his kingdom. And if it's not, then let us have an opportunity in our reflection. Say, Lord, as I'm heading toward the cross, because you told me to, to, to join in your sufferings, then mold me and shape me. Call me afresh. Make me blameless once more. And I'll pray the way you want me to pray. And I'll walk the way you want me to walk. And so, after getting his rebuke, Jesus then turns around and issues the call. The invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the cross. To take up the cross of the Messiah. As Paul says, I join in and continue, very interesting word, the sufferings of, of, of the Messiah, the sufferings of Christ. It's not always going to be an easy walk for us. Some of our brothers and sisters in different countries, Nigeria, China, some Latin American ones, they're suffering. It's beginning to happen in the West too, isn't it? We're not don't always escape persecution. Sometimes we shouldn't. But that call, that giving up, that paradox that the way of the cross leads to resurrection and a brand new life, the giving of the Holy Spirit, an incredible gift. Let's not waste that. The paradox is that in giving up, you get You get more of God, and it affects the world. It really does. In some, in uh, a way we don't quite perhaps understand, but it is the truth that this little band of, of Jewish disciples took the gospel of the Messiah to the world. And he's everywhere now. Billions of people read his word. Billions of people wrestle with how to be a disciple. Billions of people struggle with building hospitals and schools and getting the gospel. Sometimes just getting food on the plates is a struggle. But they still love Jesus. They still love God. And as the psalm says, the hope is that the, and the promise is that the poor will be satisfied. 
they will eat and they will be full. And they, to the ends of the earth, we will know the name of the Lord. That is good news. So this little paradox, give up, get. Get a blessing from the Lord. Be careful with those blessings. That in receiving from the Lord, we don't forget him. Instead, we want to know him more. Know him in his sufferings. Know him in his resurrection. We want to know him in his entirety. So this Lent, it's very important. That for right now, as we're getting to, to head towards Easter, the invitation is the cross. Let us take it, carry it, thrive with it, struggle with it. But in so doing, by the power of his Holy Spirit, be blameless before the Lord and affect the world. Because that is good news. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.